Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Bomb Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. How are we, Ted? How's it going? We're good. We're going to talk about stuff today, James. Yeah, we've got a little bit of prep. We didn't get back. We didn't get back round for the kind of like the post-transfer window uh, roundup. So we'll do a little bit of that. Um, I think there was good reason for that. It, it went out with a damp squib as usual, didn't it? it I good. said <laughs> that if Gareth Bale was actually signing, we would do a live podcast. Did Gareth Bale sign? No, he didn't. Tottenham no. signed Tottenham, a very forward-thinking club, and they signed young players for the future. So you know, that's frustrating. Good. And have played reasonably not great in a couple of matches since, and won them both. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about some Premier League, some transfers, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Championship, which we haven't talked about for a while. And I think uh, later this month, because we're in February, and it's a long February. Not to be confused with the long December. You confused me, um, right? but yeah, I see what you mean. It's got an extra day. <laughs> I got you. I'm with you. Um, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about League One and League Two later this month. Uh, I'm going to force James to to delve down the football pyramid, uh, partly for the not the top twenty guys because they asked for it. See, when you ask me and I like you, like occasionally we'll do some stuff that's directed specifically towards you. Anyway, James wants to talk about some Spurs transfers, among others. <laughs> not really, uh, but no? we, okay. I think we hit. I think we hit on it before. But you know, Bergwijn, Bergwijn signed it, signed last week straight in the team. Good to see Mourinho. He's not mess, not one to mess around. Just <laughs> you, you're playing good. Bit, I like bit of a change of pace. <laughs> I know you learn systems and all this kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> playing about the same time that Lo Celso started. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Lo Celso was apparently injured last night. So that's not so good. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. Pochettino always used to spend. Sent, seemed to spend time like bedding people in, and you know, clock. Lots we known to do that, but Mourinho, nah, he can play, and he scored. And uh, Tottenham, I was um, I was on a train and with sporadic kind of um, connection watching this uh, Man City Tottenham game. Well, I only watched it from about an hour onwards, and Tottenham looked good for their win against ten man Man City. But by all other accounts, the first half was an absolute uh, one way traffic, and the XG didn't come out too great either. So that was kind of fun. Uh, I think it was, it was, that was that was one of the more notable absolute trouncings of a big six team by another big six team that looked like an absolute trouncing of a big six team by a Burnley <laughs> in the XG, right? Like yeah. you might expect a two nil, uh, two and a half to like you know point three eight or whatever the hell the number was from yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chelsea versus Burnley. <laughs> but no, it was Spurs, and it was the same in the two-two draw that um, Yet had early in the season. That was that was yeah. just crazy. It's funny, isn't it? Because like you know, there was I can't remember it was a journalist was like, oh, this you know XG bollocks kind of stuff. That would be Samuel Luckhurst, <laughs> who is a long time not good friend of the podcast <laughs> okay fair enough i don't know who he is doesn't matter to me but i saw, I saw he was getting a bit dunked on and vice versa and stuff but it's, it just made me laugh because it's just like well you know that's that's not what this is about really it's you know it's actually really, it, it's quite useful to know that you know it, it's like a you, funny you thing and you didn't really deserve it you know well i think once you become used to the concept of expected goals like there's still this little bit about you know if you're not like a data person where you're like, well, you know, what's the point of this still? Like, you know, I like we should have won. And, and then you become surprised by how many times that teams should have won and didn't won. You know, like <laughs> it, it feels like that shouldn't be happening because now I have extra information. So I know that like we probably, 
you know, like the the world should align to to the XG numbers, and like that's not it. That's like you're looking at process versus outcomes, right? And and the way that I explain it in the courses is. You know, I, I talk about expected goals and like there's a lot of randomness in football. And that's like one of the reasons why it's fun, right? It's one of the reasons why why Burnley occasionally wins. Um, by the way, Mark Taylor, I saw that tweet that you made uh, talking about the <laughs> Sean Dyche is a warlock nonsense. And I will have you know, just because you work on crappy OptiData doesn't mean you can take shots at our at our podcast and my warlock sort of theory. So that's He had that's a point though. Sean Dyke, turns out, Sean Dyke, not a warlock he might just be trying to keep it low maybe the heat got a little too high and and now he's like all right i gotta dial it down like i gotta i gotta let the rules of football actually correspond also that year that they finished like seventh or whatever we had them you know mid table instead of the bottom three better data helps you that's all i gotta say about it is it is interesting though because um yeah i think he was yeah he was talking about the difference between kind of like pre-shot and post-shot expected goals and this is obviously the liverpool story at the moment because liverpool there's a big gap between those two things and no one really no one really can kind of get their head out head around why and again i don't want to talk about this 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 is like everybody talks about this it's causing me pain but it's but again it's, it's it's an interesting narrative because on the one hand the fan base are seeing like their team doing a legendary thing you know they've they've only drawn one game they're striding towards their first title in 30 years and all this and um you know looking like one of the all-time great teams then the metrics are like yeah they're okay they're fine they're a good team they should be in contention uh but like the the outcomes are just insane so it's like right uh you know how you can't really sit there and and like um, convince a Liverpool fan that actually your team's very good but you know they're also being very lucky at the same time that just you know they'll just shout at you basically if you do that but it's true and I think Liverpool could have like not won like say five of the games they've had and their record would look really good they'd still be like five or seven points clear in the league they'd be they would not it. be 22 points clear in the yeah league. everyone that would still be like this is a great team they're doing brilliantly and it would kind of like fit within that you know that's that's if you shave the luck away kind of thing I'm, I'm estimating completely I'm getting you know not there's no kind of like hard and fast rule here but like but yeah people you, want to real they want to they want to believe that there are reasons why their team is the best team ever. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and they want to believe that this is like by design. And and the fact of the matter is, it's a little bit by design. Like they have made many, many very yeah. good decisions to get to this point. And now, not unlike Cristiano Ronaldo, who scored fantastic amounts of goals for like 15 years, right? But he had a half season where like he could not score goals. And the fact of the matter is, there is a lot of football that is that is played. And we will see weird statistical oddities every single season because we follow so much football. Yeah. Liverpool are a great team. Like, not even a good team. They're a great team, right? Yep. But they are riding their luck, and they they are not as good as their record suggests that they are. That's it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and that doesn't yeah it doesn't suggest that they're not the you know the best team in the league. I mean, Man City the opposite because Man City's luck's kind of right out. Um, and you can you can talk about things in related to this because you know kind of defensive instability is 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 a thing too, and you know you know, how how clear the chances are given up. But there was definitely a stage I don't know if it still holds early in the season where the quality of the chances Man City were giving up. They were giving up very few chances, but the quality of the chances was really high. So yeah. it was like you know that that that's not you know not a great signifier. And of course you know the 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 distribution of these things like you know, Liverpool have been very reliable for at least 
two seasons, maybe even longer. Uh, like kind of like put in put in say you know, two expected goals on the board and, and allowing less than one like game in game out and you know that definitely helps if you you know if, you, if you're kind of like consistent whereas you know we've seen Man City frequently kind of like put up like four XG and concede nothing at all and then the next game it'll be a little bit more kind of even so I think there's that's an aspect too there's, it's a fascinating topic and there's so much going on around it um, but yeah you know Liverpool they're great and uh, a 24 was it a 24 and 1 <laughs> one zero record that's just crazy I mean I was thinking about like Bayern teams and Barcelona teams you know, over the years that have been like you know genuinely superior and like you know one one in Europe as well you know and had that talent level and even they just didn't get to this kind of record it'll be easy to see it yeah, sorry it'll be interesting to see how it how it uh, drifts off as they win the league and prioritize the Champions League if they play like the second secondary teams and you know lose the odd game or draw the odd game but you know you can't you can't deny you can't deny the achievement even though you can understand that you know there's there's been some uh, good luck along the way it really helps to have Allison. Uh, I I think that's true. I, it helps to have Virgil Van Dyke. Also true. Virgil Van Dyke and his shadow, like literally scaring the crap out of strikers. Uh, but yeah, there's a bit of luck there, and and no one, absolutely no one, is taking anything away from Liverpool. We're just saying that you know, uh, yeah. Do you see that thing the other day that Allison had baptized more people than conceded goals? He, I think he baptized Fred's wife or something. It was, it was, and um, and uh, this sounds like a story that <laughs> falls into the Giggs family suddenly, and I'm slightly concerned. <laughs> he baptized Fred's wife, and he baptized someone else or something. And he'd only conceded one goal, like in 2020. So it's like, yeah, okay. Hmm. I mean, that's that's not surely that's not going to hold unless you know unless you're an actual kind of like full time. Uh, you know, man of the church, then surely the, the goals conceded will overtake This is a very double pivot line of discussion, James. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, not a man of the cloth myself, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember where we are. With transfers, that whole thing started with transfers. Allegedly, then... you were talking about Bergwine and it rambles, and so yeah. we're just going to change our name to the Football Ramble and we'll be indistinguishable on SEO going forward. All right, was there, were there other transfers that you wanted to discuss? Maybe Bruno Gerard Fernandez. Bowen, perhaps Bruno Fernandez. I don't want to talk about this one either. I'm so bored of these things. Like, All okay, right. the transfer finally happened, but like, what do we know about Bruno Fernandez? Bruno Fernandez looks like what we thought he was, which is a long range gunner that makes a lot of high risk passes and probably costs too much for Manchester United, but they had some needs. I've got ideas around like this, and I still, I think, I think this still. Oh, you're just signing him. It feels like, it feels like they're Man United do this quite often, and they've done it maybe with Alexis Sanchez, maybe a Pogba to a degree. Um, but like trying to, it's almost like they they try and put all their eggs in one basket, and it's like right, we're gonna we're gonna solve the team with this one key signing, and you get a kind of guy that might try and do it all. Like Sanchez is definitely a guy that tries to do it all at times, and uh, Pogba can be a bit a bit like that as well. And you wonder if Bruno Fernandez kind of like fits into that bill. And then you look at um, you know say say other teams in that, and you f I feel like the kind of the distribution of quality across the team is far more level. Like you know the difference between say an Alexis Sanchez or a Bruno Fernandez and a McTominay or um, you know Pereira or the various kind of like squad guys that they've got at Man United. It feels like it's it's all or nothing in their team, and that there's Less, less kind of like consistency of quality of the players across the whole first team, and I don't know. I feel like Man United, they maybe tried to get away from that a little bit by signing Maguire and Wan Bissaka and James in the summer, but 
Fernandez again feels like that kind of like right this one guy can do it all we'll get him in to solve all our problems angle I don't know I've, I haven't crystallised that idea as effectively hopefully people know what the hell I'm on about but um <laughs> I feel like I don't want to get into any more trouble for being mean about Manchester United. So this I'm isn't being mean. This that. is a this is a considered <laughs> and nuanced take. I know, I know. Look, <laughs> I know. Um, and it, it's a funky club. And I like. Look, I'm just gonna let me let me let the heat cool on this one. I've been yeah. Uh, we're going to see some people possibly from Manchester United at the Leicester conference, which we're attending in a couple of weeks. Like just, you know, James, we don't need to, we don't need to aggravate people before we see them in person. Let, let's revisit this maybe at the end of February when we don't see Manchester United people anymore. Okay. Okay. Right. Hey, who can we talk about? Hey, hey, to, to Arsenal clarify, and Everton. Arsenal and Everton. James just said that he Sorry liked that? the Juan Basaka and the Harry Maguire signings. So there you go. Arsenal and Everton, I've got on my list of because I've got I've got an Arteta and Ancelotti uh, expected goals table here. I know, and, and, and you're going to describe it in detail for the people because this is an audio podcast. I'll say, yeah, I'll say, I'll say two things. Arteta, I mean, I think that this has been discussed quite widely. Arteta kind of like expected goals since he's been there. It's basically flat, which isn't very far away from what it was under Emery, and people are getting flat for saying that like Emery and Arteta eras look similar. It's just a stats take. It's just like on the it's not actually anyone like digging in and saying like they play the same football it's just literally the outputs are coming out quite similar I think defensively Arteta's um, kind of like looked to well allowed fewer shots and, and things and maybe because he's less goals that's fine by me I think you know defence first is is fine I've, I've said before that I'm okay, I personally not even being a Tottenham fan, just general, generally, I'm okay with Arsenal kind of punting this season and you know seeing what comes out the other end. Um, but yeah, Everton are interesting because under Ancelotti, their spectacles are great. They look like they look like a strong team. I was going to check their schedule. I've got a funny feeling they might have had a, a, a softest sketch schedule. But um, Goodman's been on about that. He's like the the schedule is an absolute cream puff, and he pointed back to like some tweet I think he made back in. Uh, maybe December or something like that. Mm. Uh, and also, Everton were not bad before Ancelotti came in mm. as well. Like at least by the numbers, right? And and you don't know what goes on behind the scenes, so it's hard for us to say like whether they made a good choice or a bad choice um, in changing head coaches. But yeah, I mean, schedules a cream puff, and I, the the difficulty around Everton, I think, more has been the squad building over the years, and not that there's like no talent versus like what we expect them to have. Um, at putting together, you know, the island of mismatched toys and, and making them come out with something that hopefully is better than the sum of the parts. Yeah, it's a, it's a manager's job. But you would also say that this is a good start for Ancelotti and there are some lovely positive signs for Everton fans. Yeah, possibly. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they're scheduled under... He has, he's, they went to Man City. The other games are all games that you'd expect them to at least compete well in. And they do. They've got Palace this weekend then... Arsenal, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, Liverpool. Okay, that, I I concede. It, it gets a little <laughs> bit tougher from here. <laughs> I concede that point. But you know, James, what, you know what, who's in fifth? By the way, say again. Who's in fifth? Who's in fifth? Who's in fifth? Um, is it Spurs at the moment? It is by Yay. one point. Uh, four and a half points behind Chelsea. They've only won ten games. Arsenal have only won six games all season. This is amazing to me. So West, Ar- Ham, Ars- West Ham have won six games this season. <laughs> Yeah, Arsenal and uh, and Brentford are having opposite seasons. <laughs> right, 
Arsenal have six wins, are middle of the table because they have 13 draws and and six losses. Uh, Brentford, I believe, have 15 wins down in the championship mm-hmm. uh, out of 30 games, uh, which is you know, they had second most in the division. Only five draws and 10 losses, but they have a plus 26 goal differential, and you're like, huh. <laughs> we can talk, I mean, they're, yeah, their expected goals look good. They look like one of the superior teams in this league. Um, I think. I, Hang on, so, before I, before I break us off into that, I was talking about Arsenal. So, like, let's not let's not segue yet. Um, uh, I wanted to come back to your point about the defense thing because, like, I think that people who've listened to us on this podcast pretty regularly know that I think that that's a big deal. Like, if Arteta can fix the defensive structure, like the attack will come. They can. They've got some decent players. Like they can adjust the their attacking stuff like that. And we've seen some pretty interesting. Like I got really excited. I think um, in one of the first two matches or whatever, Ozil was just always in space, and they were immediately playing out to him. And uh, and then they were running, and like that was like super exciting. Uh, I don't know if like that was a little terrifying because they weren't um, covering the defense well enough. Uh, the other thing that I've been noticing is like the spacing around the box like looks better. And that's a thing that I've been complaining about for a year and a half or more. Like Arsenal would get jumbled up and they wouldn't have, uh, you know, release balls back to recycle possession almost ever unless it like went all the way back to the, the center back. So if you were to right. pin pin guys around your center backs, then like you could potentially get turnovers and, and run 1v1. So like very problematic in, in your final third spacing. Like Arsenal always had good spacing under Wenger. And like when you've gone from that as like, you know, your 20 year this is what looks normal. And then you go to them like just overloading zones and not having the the right distance between players and stuff. Very frustrating. So those that looks good. The defense is fine. And, and it might even be a little bit better than fine. The attack is a complete and utter mess. But, you know, if you don't care about the season, which I don't think they do, and you need to, to fix one thing first, and then we're going to build on that in the summertime, like this is the way to go about it. And you know, we are very much in the process. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. They, this is the thing. I, they, there's there's t- time on Arsenal side for once. Fi- finally, you know the the transition from Wenger out to to whatever came next kind of didn't allow for didn't felt like it didn't allow for any kind of um, recovery period. I mean, I guess you know Man United are in a similar it's similar situation. Even Tottenham as well to some to some degree. I mean, uh, Jan Vertonghen went off like last last night after about fifty four minutes and <laughs> I. Uh, Looked like he kind of sadly trudged off, but it's that it's that realization that, that like players that might have been you know quite um, fated and part of a good team for a long time that maybe their time's up. And I think um, Arsenal, uh, Man United, and Tottenham are all kind of experiencing that situation uh, right now, and you know having to transition on the hoof a little bit um, to try and like build new teams. And yeah, finally now it feels like Arsenal are actually um, you know. They've got a manager that you can see with a like potential to have a vision going forward over a you know mid to long long period. And if you have cash, the then it's easier to yeah. If you have cash, it's easier to transition quickly, right? Because mm-hmm. like you know you can you can churn guys and you can invest now and potentially sell off some of the ones that you know losses or like not maximize it. If you don't, then like you have to plan really well and you have to optimize all your execution. For those of you who are hearing loud noises in the background my next door neighbors are redoing their uh the house uh the woman who lived there just turned 100 this year and has moved into a home and unfortunately my office is right uh on that joining wall so it might be a little loud i apologize 
Did you have any other transfers you wanted to talk about? Like, I know you did a whole piece on Gerard Bowen. We should probably just direct people to the Stats Bomb website for that. Yeah, we've got, yeah, we got a couple of things. Yeah, I did I did that. And it, it was just, Gerard Bowen's like interesting. And I very much like, hints, well, I very much aimed at one aspect of his game, that he's just this two-footed shooter. He's not really two-footed in general plays, but he's mainly left-footed. He's really good at, um, I didn't talk about other aspects of his game, but like from a, a shooting perspective, he can shoot with his left quite quickly, quite effectively. And then he can drive into the box from the right side and hit hit balls with his right. Now, basically, he's like nobody else. Oh, actually, that's not quite true. There's one person in the data sets that I looked at that looked a little Who's similar. That person, well, I'm not going to tell you that, Ted, because <gasps> uh, we'll we'll buy them for Stats Bomb FC, and then they'll rip up the rip up the <laughs> eighth division or whatever. No, anyway, uh, <laughs> this is where you plug the the pro scouting product, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, but this is the thing. I mean, we've got our pro scouting project, and um, you know where we where we've been evaluating players. We've been scouting them. We've been looking at data angles and just bringing it all together into a kind of big package and producing these reports. And Bone was one of the people that really stood out. And the fact that he was this kind of like two-footed um, uh, shooter was really, really interesting. And that's the thing. Like, uh, he's not P- Podolski's not like, not the not the you know obvious kind of like uh, not the only comparison. But I think you know when you know Podolski had this one thing that he did really well. Like, and it was just like his hammer shot. And uh, I'm not saying that's what 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 Bowen is, but that kind of the the decision you've got to make about valuing a player when they have this like specifically unique aspect to their play, which both say Podolski and Bowen had, um, matched married up against what else they bring to the table. And I think Podolski was someone who, uh, you know, was potentially a little bit flawed or ineffective in other parts of his game. Now I'm not saying that about Bowen, but like Bowen has things that he does well and things that he does less well. But this thing at the front that you glue onto the front, he's shooting, scoring goals. And last time I looked, scoring goals is a bit of a commodity in this game is really really quite effective so it'll be fascinating to see how he how he gets on um i think he'll probably get a reasonable amount of service at west west ham and he's quite good at kind of uh you know f- breaking away and finding space and beating a defender and getting a shot away so yeah he, he, i i'm reasonably positive that he, he should be a good um uh, a good asset going forward and he should continue to score goals but yeah fascinating player and uh, you know good to see him get his big move and like I say we've, there's loads of players we've looked at and considered in great detail and we'll continue he ended up at West so. Ham right yeah yeah are West Ham also going to populate their midfield or is that going to be uh, well, turnstiles I mean I'm trying to be I'm trying to be positive and think of players like Felipe Anderson and oh, I don't know maybe maybe Snodgrass drops out of the team at some point I don't know but I they think have Anderson got... has been good it's just like you know if you can't if you can't get the ball to your front line yeah, <laughs> what, what are got, they doing? They, this is it. They've got a couple of ball carriers now, and um, if they can find them, they might have to just ping the ball from side to side to <laughs> to hopefully find them. But yeah, I mean, he's, I, I I think Bones a goal scorer that, that could have fitted in, you know, any kind of like team would say below top six as as a as a reasonable option. I know Palace. There was talk Palace and Newcastle were potentially interested in him uh, as well, and you you could see him being an asset for either of those. Either Palace person. might needed to have win that, especially if like they're trying to get rid of Zaha at some point. Right? Uh, yeah, having one. having Bowen on the right and uh, who probably significant upgrade to Andrews Townsend at this point, and then Zaha on the left, like at least gives them a couple of passes to get that, the ball forward. That would have been quite interesting, wouldn't it? You know, you can you can kind of talk yourself into that fit quite nicely. So yeah, I mean, uh, West West Ham, West Ham are interesting. I mean, you just interesting no, I've got to stop using that word West Ham I just don't know what, where they're going you know you've got Moyes Moyes in charge who's going to be a bit battened down the hatches I mean 
and yet uh, some of their squad certainly with their kind of attackers are a little bit more exuberant I guess is one way of putting it how those things marry together not sure but um, yeah who else we got anybody else or should we transition we can tra- we can transition that's fine we can go to we can talk championship I don't think it's, there's a, there was any other like you know significant deal within the Premier League that made me think like oh I must talk about that um, a lot of dry powder uh, Chelsea did not make any moves that's nuts isn't it when you think about it you know when, when they I, I think Chelsea's Chelsea's metrics have looked fairly s- stable throughout the season although their the results have kind of got, become a little bit less so um I think their kids are tired. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. For, like, I, I think the, that, that first half of the season like really wore them down. And I think that you're seeing some fatigue injuries uh, probably because of that. But I think, you know, it's, it's, again, one thing you have to be careful with. They didn't have a lot of options. and But, you know, I don't think Lampard has probably churned that squad and rotated quite to the degree that he might in future years. Because, you know first real season of of Premier League for some of these guys they are talented they've not looked out of place but you gotta try and keep them a little bit fresh and and man does that sort of November December January period really grind people down and not just on not just on the the squad side but like the staff side as well I heard from one big six club uh, not too long ago that said that their staff had worked 74 of the last 75 days through that period and I'm like oh my god wow yeah, I mean, like you got to have sympathy for it's it's football. They get paid to work in football. That's that's great. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you've ever had a job that you loved, but have you ever worked 14 days in a row? In- <laughs> yeah, so you're gonna stop loving it if you're working 74 days out of 75. That's my. It's just hard, right? Like you need some some time to recuperate and. And so, and it's not just at, at the top tier. Like you know, the the league play has yeah you know, has. Every or Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, especially through like the FA Cup, and if you're if you go at all deep into the the Carling, whatever. So anyway, um, shout out to all the club people that listen to us and that are pretty damn exhausted coming toward the the end of the the winter period. Uh, we appreciate you guys and keep up the the good work. Yeah, I think that your point about Lampard is, is uh, Lampard and Chelsea is entirely valid, though, and of course that reflects on Lampard as well, who is only in his second season of management. So, unless he, unless he's taking you know advice from experienced managers or he's taking things on board, then managing a team's physical like workload and shuffling the pack throughout a season, especially with uh, you know European uh, matches and the travel that goes with that added on top, um, that's it's not nothing you know you there, there's you need some expertise there and you need you can't just fumble your way through and hope it all works out and maybe maybe you do but uh there's certainly uh certainly a learning curve there and i think you know if you've got a, a team a team that's um uh built to physically prosper throughout the season and you understand you know the ebbs and flows of that then yeah that maybe that takes time to learn that and we could be seeing that with chelsea but you know they're still there in fourth, so they are four and a half points ahead of the mighty Spurs. That's the bottom line, right? We championship, have not been Ted. Playing very well. We're going to do championship. But we are all right. So teams that are playing well or not playing well and getting results. <laughs> so like that's a good segue from Spurs. <laughs> um, 
it, what's so it about a month ago i think when when gerhard stuber came into barnsley like their numbers changed a lot and i looked at that and i was like wow they they might be able to save themselves despite a pretty big pit unfortunately their results have not been amazing with like one win in the last six and and a draw um but their numbers actually look pretty good and and this is this is one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about it because um the the bottom of the table, you know, Barnsley and Luton are nearly cast adrift, and then you got Wigan and Stoke. Who we're going to talk about Stoke in a second. I'm not going to spoil that. Uh, Huddersfield, Charlton, uh, Middlesbrough, who've struggled, you know, for most of the season as well. Birmingham, uh, there's like funkiness with points deductions potential on like Sheffield Wednesday, possibly Derby. Uh, this is like it's a crazy, crazy league this year, and uh, if if it were a soap opera. Like you would, it would look just like this. Like there's there's weird storylines, and I don't know if anybody's you know been dead and then revived yet, but it's possible. And uh, you know there might be some sort of amnesia story li- plot line that'll come along when the the FFP stuff happens. But um, so yeah, and then the top of the table is amazing because like there was a big gap for quite a while between West Brom, Leeds, and everybody else. And that doesn't exist right now. Uh, West Brom are on 56 points after 30 games. Leeds are on 55. Uh, 20 goal difference and 19 there. Then you get Fulham at 52. Uh, pretty much expected that they would be in the mix. West Brom, I was not certain about that, and they've struggled. And we'll talk about their underlying numbers in a second. But we're just talking about facts right now, James. Not models, but facts. Uh, Nottingham Forest uh, on 51 points. And I don't think anybody really expected them to be in the mix for the top six. Uh, Brentford, 50 points, fifth place, plus 26 goal difference, which is about six better than anybody else in the league. And then Bristol City. At plus four goal difference, but the same number of points, and on uh, a, a ferocious run right now with five wins in their last six. Lee Johnson, the up down manager, like we say this every year, but they always have streaks. They have really good streaks, and then often much less good streaks. So that's the top six, six points separating them. Then there's three points back to like Preston and and some more middle of the table contenders that are all pretty good, but not quite in that mix. Now. What do you see in the numbers, James? <laughs> well, overall, obviously Leeds, Leeds, Leeds numbers look good. Brentford's numbers look really good, and recently as well. I mean, I I cut this to like from the start of um, December just to look at their kind of expected goals. I think just quick aside, like I think it's crazy to me that we're only thirty games into the season. You look at that and you think, my God, it's still like sixteen games to go. That's a huge amount of games. You know, anyone? It's thought, nearly half a Premier League season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyone thought like this was done or anything? It's like no, 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 long way to go. But um. Yeah, Leeds, Leeds and Brentford still look, look strong on the metrics all season, and they look strong on the metrics um, in kind of recent times. In the last kind of, I think since the start of since the start of December, I um, I sliced it up, uh, and then like Middlesbrough and Stoke, which surprised me. After once you get beyond those those two teams and their expected numbers, it gets a, it gets quite varied welcome <laughs> to the championship sir <laughs> it really does it's a, it's a Par- kind of parody is what we do <laughs> hodgepodge like early in the season stoke were like you know couldn't you couldn't buy a win but their metrics look kind of par and their recent metrics look you know above par and their results have got better which is fine but they're still right right down there in the in the you know in the bottom if i'm just gonna sit here and try and tell you that uh you know so i have a quick question I want you to tell me who you think the two weirdest teams are based on their expected goals difference and their place in the table in our model. 
and our data is what well, Stoke definitely who like Stoke definitely who who have never ever ever in the entirety of the season looked like a relegation team and in fact I think have probably like the fifth best yeah, expected yeah. goals numbers yeah, in yeah. the league and then I think so, Hull pods possibly the other ones as well like Hull's metrics look pretty strong although they've just lost Bowen so that might kind of that's true and you know they're they're kind of like settled in the mid table but they look better than than their position um, and. In recent uh, weeks, like they have looked quite good. Also, uh, I took out, I did a, I did a fun filter because like Brentford and Leeds have had a few times where they've just absolutely tonked teams. Uh, I took out the competitive element there, um, and uh, I think Hull actually were like in the sort of the top five for the season if you take out their games against Brentford and Leeds. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but so like that's that's teams that feel like they should be better than they are in the actual results we know that because there's a lot of parity you know there'll be a lot of variance in in the championship teams move up and down the the league throughout the course of the season it's hard to tell but there's one team that does not look like they are top six and another one that you know maybe not but like there's one that you're like wow how are they doing that bristol 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 How are they doing yeah. that? Yeah, I, I, I think this has happened before. I might, I might maybe. They do this a lot. <laughs> they've, 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 they've got a funny old way of like exceeding their matches. Last season, well, last season they they were slightly in credit, but you know they finished yeah. eighth and they were probably about that good. But yeah, I've I've definitely seen this before from Bristol City in there and the way that they kind of um, have managed to. It's one of those you know you go you go through on a Saturday on Saturday or something and you you go through the results and you just check out some shot numbers or expected goals numbers because obviously being a stats person that's what I do I do it sometimes and then you see like Bristol City had like nine shots two on target gave up sixteen and seven on target but they won <laughs> it's like oh okay that's fine <laughs> well they're like minus four and a half shots a game uh, in terms of differential right they're they're like negative four and a half shots a game right, versus. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the old school ones versus Leeds being sort of plus seven and Brentford being plus five and a half, something like that. So, like, you know, it's high paced games often, uh, a lot of up down. Uh, they sold Josh Brownhill, I think, to Burnley in a deal that mostly hated, but whatever. Like, that's it wasn't for like a ton of money that you would say that's a huge mistake, but um, mm. didn't really didn't really make sense either. You're like, I'm not sure they see what. I'm not sure what they see in him. Anyway, um, yeah, so like it, it'll be interesting with that amount of games left, which is still quite a lot, mm. whether uh, we see Bristol sort of, you know, settle back down um, over the course of the season. Uh, you know, other good teams in there, Preston North End are, are kind of right on the cusp. Nottingham Forest are, are basically league average in the expected goals numbers, but have had good results again. So it'll be an open question as to, you know, how, how that settles out and whether, you know, Preston and... Uh, even Swansea, to a lesser extent, can make a little bit of run to to get up into that that space. And also, you know, Charlton have been injured for a lot of the season, have one of the worst expected goals. Luton looked dead and buried. Uh, Barnsley, you know, have been digging out, but they're way behind. And then the question becomes, you know, can can Wigan get enough points versus like uh, a Huddersfield or Charlton? Uh, to make up that spot in the table. And it, it's not super likely at this point. But again, 16 games, you know, it'd be fun. Barnsley take like, yeah, like the third most shots in the league and they're actually a plus shots team. That's crazy. Barnsley are pretty funky. And uh, where were they on your, your sorted list from December onward? I think they were kind of in the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah. basically just, just below par. But, you know, essentially 
essentially not bottom three <laughs> by by some stretch. Like Luton are the one team that just look look not good in that. And uh, you know, then you've got Red, Charlton, Reading, Bristol City's metrics not good since December. Uh, but yeah, Barnsley were kind of mid. It, oh, it, it's a funny old league. <laughs> it never stops being that way. That's the best part. I I really enjoy it, and there is some good football that's played there as well. But so. again, I bet it shakes out because sixteen games in, sixteen games to go, you know, we're not even at two thirds. And you know, look at it now, and I bet I, I mean, I'm not going to bet, but if I was going to bet, I would like mm. Stoke. Stoke will find themselves in mid table by the end. Uh, you know, one or two teams will kind of like gra- gravitate towards more kind of like logical positions based on their metrics. Um, We're not going to spend much time on it, but like the we have a visualization of the league tables and you know, it kind of shows like which teams are in positive and negative expected goals and like a quick look up. And the League One table is really weird. But the reason why it's really weird is because like there are. You know, Bolton have basically didn't have a team coming in, and they're like three terrible teams. So like down through twelve, everybody looks like they're they're pretty decent on the expected goals, and that's why that that table looks like really funky. Right. Yeah. Anything else you want to hit on today, Ted? No, James. I think we're keeping it keeping it short today. Keeping it uh, lean. It's all right. It's a busy podcast market out there. You know, everyone's. It's true. <laughs> we can't we can't compete with everybody else. We haven't on, been bought by Spotify yet, so. You know, we'll, <laughs> and we remain ad-free apart from our own services. But you know, that's good. That's good. <laughs> we haven't got any music yet either. So, well, it's also a, a shortened Premier League schedule this week and next on the winter break. Controversial winter break. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Is it worked out, or have there been like you know the extra games since it? I suppose these cup replays were always gonna we're always gonna land somewhere. Um, and yeah, that's quite. It's quite funny that uh, Klopp was just like, "Yeah, no, nah, I won't. won't be there for our cup replay, not at all." And then they went and won anyway. So <laughs> the kids are going to get another run out in the next round, presumably. It's like seriously, can you guys just lose? Like they played all their children against Arsenal too, right? That was the insane game that was what five five or something when it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Shit!" Now we have to go to the Carling Cup. And then that was like what uh, within 24 hours or something of their club World Cup. Anyway, um, yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Thank you for listening, um, James. I think maybe even by next week or the week after is going to put some information out about potential course scheduling um, uh, for Stats Bomb courses. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, have a good weekend, everybody. Cheers, boy. <laughs>